Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, Why We Need the Church. In recent decades, the number of people in the United States who are regular churchgoers and especially church members has declined rather substantially. But more recently, In the post-COVID-19 pandemic era, we seem to be in a great season of falling away, if not outright purging, in our country as it relates to people who devote their Lord's Day to going to God's house and worshiping Him. COVID seems to have expedited what had been a trend that is decline in recent decades. I'm grateful that our little congregation, our little church, actually grew in that season. But really, and I say this to faithful churchgoers and pastors who might be listening today, if your church numbers remain stable through the last two years, you're really beating the trend that is found in the United States today because the trend is declined up to 30 or 40 percent. I've known many smaller churches here or there that have closed in the COVID era. As we studied the seven churches of Asia earlier this year here on Words of Grace, one of the things we talked about was when churches lose their candlesticks. Certainly that happens. Churches do die in the world. They're many times like people that have a lifespan, and because of one problem there or another, maybe in the culture, maybe in the church itself, that church closes up and ceases to be a New Testament assembly. That does happen, and it's very sad and tragic when it does. If you stayed stable, as we just said, you're really beating the trend. If you were able as a church to grow over the past couple of years, well, praise God for that. God has been with you in a mighty way, and if that happened, then you should certainly thank God for the blessings that He's given you. Why? Our church is declining in the U.S. across the board, regardless of denomination, organizations that consider themselves a church, a Christian church in the United States. Why are they shrinking at this time in American history? Well, the reasons are many, and there's not one sole cause for this decline that we're seeing. Just on the surface, wealth is associated with weak spirituality. Again, referring back to that series that we undertook on the seven churches of Asia, you notice the one wealthy church there, Laodicea, they were lukewarm, and the Lord threatened to spew them as a congregation out of his mouth. Now, this doesn't mean that they were wicked, unregenerates that gathered and pretended to be a church. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He's threatening to chasten them. He can't have a church of the Lord Jesus Christ behaving in such a way. And so there would be discipline upon them for that. The entire identity of that church was at risk because of their apathetic, lukewarm attitude. What caused that? Well, they lived in a wealthy culture. Many times, wealth weakens us spiritually. Some of the most lukewarm seasons in church history were the most prosperous. Conversely, some of the most rich seasons spiritually were times of great persecution. We find that even in Scripture, but also many times in the history of the New Testament church. 
Also, as it relates to American churches, they're no longer primarily about discipling, but they are more so about entertaining. It's not really about learning the deep things of the Lord, but it's about going to an entertaining show. And I don't mean to be critical on the broadcast today. That might offend some people who listen to it, but that's certainly a valid critique of American Christianity. We're not really about discipling today. Jesus told these 11 men, and we'll talk about this later today, he told these 11 men to go and to teach all nations, baptizing them, commanding them to observe all things that he had commanded them. And lo, he's with us, them, unto the end of the world. Amen. That's to be the primary work that pastors are engaging in between worship services and Sadly, in the American model of church, that's about the last thing that a, quote, senior pastor would find himself doing. In megachurches, he might have board meetings, he might have events, he might have even photo ops that he would go to, and certainly he has to write his sermon each week and do all the study that he's to do to prepare for that. But as it relates to discipling, going out, preaching the Word, and gathering people into churches, that's simply not done very much in the American model. They might send other people out. They might run advertisements and have billboards and video campaigns, social media, Instagram posts of pictures of things that would draw people in with the right hashtag to advertise for their church and their community. But as far as pastors going out and preaching, you don't see as much of that. As churches cease to be about glorifying God through worship and making disciples— Well, we're going to see a falling away, because disciples aren't being made. Instead, we have attendees, people who show up for the program that particular day. And that's simply not enough to keep people grounded and rooted and anchored in a congregation. They're not growing in the Lord. There's no reason for us to go to a church and worship the Lord Jesus Christ if we're not actually doing what the Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to do as Christians. Another reason... I recently saw a Barna study, a poll conducted by Barna, that only 37% of pastors had a biblical worldview. Now, while I read the news story about that, I didn't read the actual study, so I don't know what they define as a biblical worldview. But suffice it to say, only 37% of pastors have what could be referred to as a biblical worldview. No wonder people don't go to church today. Now, beyond that, what's even worse, youth pastors, they were about 12 to 13% of youth pastors in this country, according to that study, had a biblical worldview. Might that be a reason for the great decline in American Christianity? If God disciples his children through the preaching of the gospel and the people who are claiming to preach don't even believe the message of the word of God to begin with, how is it that they're going to be discipled? Well, quite frankly, they're not. And if God's people who are born of the Spirit, if they go to church and they're not hearing the word, they're not being taught, they're not being fed, they're not being discipled, they're being entertained, well, they're simply not going to go back and be a part of that. And so they go the way of the world, unsatisfied spiritually, because what they got at church was not what church was supposed to be. As it relates to youth pastors and the 12 to 13 percent of them who actually believe the Word of God as it relates to a biblical worldview, to use the verbiage from the study, I want you to think about this for a moment. Most Christian parents go to a church and they select that church based upon what that church can offer the quote-unquote youth. They'll say, what sort of a youth program do you have 
for my children, because I want my children to be discipled. And they think going to a church with an impressive youth group is going to raise Christian teenagers through adulthood, people who will be responsible Christians as they grow up. But if only 12 to 13 percent of American youth pastors have a biblical worldview, how is that going to raise anyone in the faith? Well, it's simply not. If 88 percent of the, quote, professional teachers responsible for teaching children don't believe the Word of God, how then are the children who are under their teaching going to actually be grounded in the faith? Do you see the problem with that? Now, obviously, I come from a bias against that movement because in our congregation, in our church, and throughout our denomination, we have family-integrated worship. We believe that moms and dads and children ought to gather together in churches and to worship God in churches, to be instructed at the same time. And the kickback to that is usually, well, children can't understand what the preacher is saying. And I would just say, you go ask the children who sit under my preaching on Sunday, and I guarantee you they know plenty about the Word of God, Christology, theology, the gospel, salvation from sin through Christ's death on the cross. I promise you they understand more than what you would expect simply sitting under preaching. Others might say, well, that's distracting to have young children in the congregation. Well, it can be. It certainly can be. And as a parent of young children, many times I had to take my child out or my wife had to take my child out to correct them and try to train them, instruct them how to sit through a church service. But Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me, such is the kingdom of heaven. The way Jesus established his church, there's going to be babies that make noise. There are going to be children playing in the pews afterwards and in the aisles after church. I would much rather have to speak over babies that make noise in church than to have a church with no future, or even worse, to have a church where God gave us children, but we sent them to another room, and when they turn 18, they simply go away, and I've blown the opportunity to disciple them. No, I want the children there hearing everything that we preach so that they can be discipled, so that they can hear the same messages that their parents hear. So any of those things, and certainly many, many more, are the reasons why we seem to be in a time of decline in American Christianity today. But I want to speak to you today about why we need the church, why the church is significant, why she's important in the world. First of all, the word church means assembly, or at least it translates from the Greek word for assembly. The English word church actually comes from an old English word, kirk, which simply meant Lord's house, the Lord's house. So, We all kind of know that, right? That the house of the Lord is the church. The church is the Lord's house. But the Lord's house is an assembly. The building that the church meets in is not really the church. The people who meet in the building are the church. As Peter says, we are lively stones built into a house, a house of worship. The people are the temple of God, and the Spirit dwells within them quickened, regenerated people make up the church of the living God. And we are to assemble ourselves into congregations. And so to say, well, I'm a Christian and you know I believe in all of that, but I just don't like going to church. Well, the Word of God says you can't be church, you can't be a follower of Christ, you can't be a disciple unless you assemble yourself together. 
In fact, forsaking the assembling is something that's sinful that the writer of Hebrews warns about. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as some, but exhort one another as we see the day approaching. Be commending people to be a part of the house of God. Tell them, look, church is approaching this Lord's day. Come be a part of it. Experience the blessing of it. Come on out to the assembly and worship the Lord with us. Church means, by definition, to assemble The Lord's house, then, is an assembly of people who come together for the purpose of worshiping God on the Lord's day. Number two, the church was built by Jesus Christ himself. And you see this in the book of Matthew chapter 16. After Peter confesses that Christ is the Son of God, Jesus says unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Anything you know about Christ that is true, that you believe is revealed to you by God the Father. We know Christ through Him revealing Himself to us. We don't know Him because we're smarter or wiser or figured it out, but we know it through divine revelation. We know it through grace. And whatever we think we know about Jesus, it has to be confirmed by Scripture, because we don't simply imagine things about Christ and believe that to be true. But the Word of God, as we'll see in a moment, truly furnishes us unto all good works. But what we know about Christ and what we know from Scripture that we believe, we believe through God revealing it unto us by His grace. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, Jesus says in Matthew sixteen eighteen, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, to be very clear, the church is not built upon Peter. There's an organization of people who believe that today. The church is built upon divine revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. Peter would describe all of us as lively stones, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So if you think that Peter is the chief cornerstone, you're mistaken. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Peter and me and you, we're all lively stones. And the revelation of this chief cornerstone to us by God the Father, well, Jesus and his identity and the revelation of him, that is the rock upon which the church is founded. Who built the church? I will build my church, Jesus says in Matthew sixteen eighteen. That makes it very important. This institution is greater than the United States of America. It's greater than Canada. It's greater than Mexico. It's greater than Russia. It's greater than China. It's greater than Ukraine. It's greater than England, the United Kingdom. It is the greatest kingdom that has ever existed, because it is the church, the assembly, that Jesus himself built. And so many times we take the eye off of it and look to the nations of this world and our patriotism, well-meaning and well-placed as it might be from time to time. We should always remember that we have no continuing city. We have no continuing city. We're not to look at anywhere in this world as our real home. But we're to go outside the camp, bearing the reproach of Christ, offering the sacrifice of praise. We're to be people who understand that we have a home made in the heavens without hands. That is to say, not of this building. Jesus built his church, as we read here in Matthew chapter 16. What did he build his church to do? Well, Continuing along this point, Jesus built his church as a place of worship. Jesus would say to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Right before Jesus said that those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth, he said the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God seeks that we worship him in spirit and in truth, and where we do that is in his assembly. You might say, well, I can worship God just as much on the lake on Sunday morning as I can the church, and the reply that I would say to you is that this statement is outright false. The notion that you can worship God just as well sitting in a bass boat is a lie. That's something that you or other people have told themselves to not feel guilty about skipping church and missing out on what God has commanded them to do. To skip church is disobedience. Now, I know there are people that have to work on Sunday, police officers and firemen and soldiers and doctors and nurses, and praise God for the ministry that they do to society. But for the rest of us, no, we need to do whatever we can do to be in the Lord's house on Sunday morning, because God seeks people to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and this is to take place in the church. Now, lastly, along this point, Ephesians chapter 3, the last verse in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, verse 21, "...unto him, that is God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen." The church is an institution made up of individual collective assemblies, made up of individual regenerated people that exists to glorify the Lord through Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Did you notice in Matthew 16 that as Jesus builds his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Well, here we read in Ephesians that people will be giving Christ glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I'm thankful to know that the decline in Christianity in America today does not mean that the church is on the way out in the world. Oh, the devil and all of his angels and all of his spokesmen here in the world would love for that to happen, but that's never going to happen. If you want the church to end, and you're listening today as a skeptic, I've got news for you. The church isn't going to go anywhere in the world. It might not be as strong in America, but it will be somewhere because God will not leave himself without a witness. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Number three, the church is an organization that is to uphold and defend and disseminate the truth of God's Word. This is one of the most important things that we do. Paul described the church in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 as the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, the church is built upon the truth, and the church is built upon Christ. Paul would say that as he wrote to the Corinthians. Or as Peter said, the chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're all lively stones built upon Christ. But notice that the church as an institution is the pillar and ground of the truth, the foundation and the pillar upon which the truth is exalted up, as it were, is the church. The church is to lift up and to disseminate the truth. We defend it. We preserve it. We teach it. We love it. We embrace it. We earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude would say. And so as an institution, the church is to uphold and defend the truth. Don't we live in a day that's starving for truth? The church is the institution that is to provide the truth of God's Word to the world around us. We shine this light through a crooked and perverse generation. Number four, the church exists in the world to make disciples. And we referenced this earlier, 
But in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus commanded the 11 disciples. These are the preachers. These are the ministers. Now, there were 500 that saw him resurrected, probably at the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. There were 120 disciples at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They probably saw Jesus, too. The 11 disciples and all of the sisters, the various women, many of them were named Mary. They saw Jesus resurrected. But here, as Jesus gives this commission in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus gives it to the 11, and that's very significant. These were the ministers. Our forefathers would word it this way regarding this commission, that it was given primarily to the apostles and through them to the gospel ministry of every age to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we do desire to be obedient to that commandment of the Lord. Disciples are to be made in the context of the church. Now, who specifically has the primary responsibility of that? Well, the gospel ministry. And it is the gospel ministry who baptizes and administers the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we'll say more about in a moment. But church is to be a place of disciple-making. Now, her officers are the administrators of going and preaching and baptizing and teaching and commanding to observe all that he has commanded us to do. But you cannot separate the ministry of the Word from the church. The church oversees the ordination of ministers and its ministers within the church that ordains the next generation of ministers. You see, Jesus didn't create seminaries. Jesus didn't create parachurch organizations. Jesus created a church, and the ministry of the church has their duties, their responsibilities to make disciples, to administer the ordinances, to shepherd God's people, to love them and care for them and serve them. There's no separating the church from the ministry or the ministry from the church, and so the church is to be a place of disciple-making. Now, if you go to church and you don't learn, and what I mean by learn, if you don't learn the Word of God, that's what's going to have an effect on your life. If you don't learn the Word of God, go to a different church. Now, I'm not telling you that pastors have the responsibility of giving us 10-step programs to have a more fulfilling week or any sort of thing like that. No, we preach the Word, and the Word is sufficient. If I don't think the Word is sufficient, that's a great indication that I have been infected by the perspective of this modern, skeptical, higher, critical age, and I need to repent. The church is to go and to make disciples. Number five, the church is to show the death of the Lord Jesus Christ by the ordinances that Christ has placed in his church. The first ordinance that Christ placed in his church is baptism. As we read in the book of John chapter 4, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than did John in Acts chapter 2. As people believe and they confess their sins, they are baptized and the Lord added to the church. Baptism and being a church member are connected in Scripture. Being a disciple of Christ, an official disciple, and being baptized are connected. You can't say, well, I'm a church member, but I'm not baptized, or, well, I want to be baptized, but I don't want to be a church member. I don't want to be a part of a church with all that comes with being a part of organized religion. No, you are to be baptized, and you are a part of a congregation after that, and everything that that involves. Baptism shows the Lord's death, however, because it is a symbol of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God, according to the writings of the Apostle Peter. So we answer this interchange that God has done on us in regeneration with baptism, 
And we're also telling the world that we're dying to ourselves and we're going to rise out of that baptismal pool to newness of life in a practical sense. We're going to live differently because we've been converted. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism looks like a death, a burial, and a resurrection. You are buried in that baptismal pool, and you are risen out of that water, having received that ordinance. And we also have communion, which shows the Lord's death until he comes, according to Paul, to the Corinthians. The communion service, we just enjoyed that here at Flint River at the end of the month of May. The unleavened bread, which was the bread that Jesus would have used at the Passover, being the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a beautiful, perfect picture of his body being without leaven, leaven so often being a picture of sin in Scripture, Jesus having no sin of his own. And also wine, which would have been the only fruit of the vine at that time, a fact that was uncontested until our modern day and age and the temperance movement. This wine represented his blood, and not only does it look like blood, but it also contains a special ingredient that makes it different, and that is the ingredient of alcohol, alcohol which is a purifier. If you ever go get a shot at the doctor, many times they'll wipe down your arm with alcohol to kill whatever's on your arm bacteria-wise. And so it contains this ingredient that purifies, but also according to the Proverbs, it makes the heart merry. The unleavened bread and the wine beautifully depict the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so communion shows his death until he comes. Number six, church provides a life-altering beneficial service to believers. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 teach us that Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He would go into the next chapter, I charge thee therefore to preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We receive a benefit in hearing the preaching of the word each and every week. We grow in sanctification. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We won't experience growth in the Lord unless we're hearing good preaching each and every week. Number two, regarding the life-altering beneficial service that the church provides believers, in Ephesians chapter 5, we sing, we speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and as we do that, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we are filled with the Spirit when we worship the Lord in church. Now, if you find yourself depressed and discouraged and anxious and fearful and concerned, might I just direct you to go worship your heart out at church? That will have a therapeutic effect on you as you, from the heart, worship God. There's a benefit to worshiping God. Now, we began by saying the church exists to worship God simply for the sake of worshiping God, because He deserves it. But worshiping God also blesses those who participate in it. Lastly, point number seven, being a part of a church provides family and accountability to all of those who participate in it if the church is healthy. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we read, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they can have heat. But how can one be warm alone? 
If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That simply, here in Ecclesiastes 4, gives us the benefits of what we would call fellowship. You notice that word, fellow, in verse 10, the root for fellowship. Fellowship is one of the most important benefits of being a part of a New Testament church, because there are people there at church, if you will get to know them, if you'll let your guard down and take the walls down that are around you, there are people that will love you and talk to you and care for you and be there for you in your moments of struggle and your moments of success as well. We rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that do weep. And lastly, being a part of a church gives you the benefit of having accountability because we all need accountability in our lives. Church discipline and accountability are something that Christ built into his church that you can read about in many places. Summarizing the benefit of this, Proverbs 27 and verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. There's a benefit when a friend comes alongside you and he says, Hey, I'm worried about you, and I think that you're out of the way. And you'd be better off, and God would be glorified if you would turn from this destructive path. I hope if you don't have a church that you find one. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.